Uh, If you would, take your Bibles and turn with me to Acts chapter 14 as we continue uh, through our study in the book of Acts. Uh, We're we're coming to kind of a major turning point in chapter 15, but before we get there, we kind of round out the end of uh, Paul and Barnabas' first missionary journey as, as Luke recounts. Uh, that that ministry for us in the in Acts chapter fourteen here, I'll be reading from uh, verses nineteen through twenty three. So if you're able, would you stand with me as we read this part of God's word? Pay careful attention. This is God's word. Acts chapter fourteen, beginning in verse nineteen. But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city, and on the next day, he went on with Barnabas to Derbe. When they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and to Iconium and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. When they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God endures forever. You may be seated. Would you pray with me as we ask the Lord's help this morning? Oh Lord, we've been reminded already this, this morning that your word is perfect, that it revives, renews, restores the soul, that your word is sweeter even than the honey on the honeycomb. And so, Father, we pray that you would give us hearts to delight in your word, to receive it uh, for what it is, your very word, and that it would be restorative to our souls, and that it would be sweet to us. So give us understanding, we ask, by the power of your Spirit. Help us to receive these things with faith and love, to lay them up in our hearts, and to practice them in our lives. And we ask, Lord, that in all things we would see Jesus. For we pray in his name. Amen. In uh, 2014, which uh, seems like it should not be that long ago, or as long ago as it was, uh, I decided for the first time that I would run the 5K race in, in York's Summerfest for the first time. Uh, many of you have run that race. You know how difficult a course that is. And uh, as, as I was getting ready to start at the starting line, there was a running club from Rock Hill that was participating in the race that year. And it had lots of elementary and middle school boys and girls who were part of this club. And so they had all joined together and come to the Summerfest <coughs> race to run this course. And uh, so we start the race, running along, and get to about the one-mile mark, and uh, a a young boy ran past me, or kind of ran alongside me, I should say. He's about maybe 10 years old, and he must have seen all of the life drained from my face (laughs) in that moment as I'm huffing and puffing and just trying to, you know, make it to mile one right there as you turn off of Bratton Avenue onto one of those side roads. And uh, so he came alongside me, noticing my weariness, uh, and he looked at me and he said, don't give up, keep moving. 
he knew I was struggling. It was evident. And he encouraged me to persevere. And, and in that moment, kind of gave me what I needed to keep going. Now, a little later on down the, re- down the road, he uh, turned around, looked at me, and said, hurry up, as he <laughs> ran past me. But I don't hold that against him. This passage this morning is in many ways about that same kind of uh, thing that I experienced from this 10-year-old fellow runner. It's about encouragement, that encouragement to persevere, to persevere not in running but in trusting the Lord. Here we have Paul and Barnabas rounding out their first missionary journey. They've been sent out from uh, Antioch in Syria. They've made their way down to Cyprus, this island in the Mediterranean, and back up to what we would call southern Turkey, uh, the Galatian region, and and hit all of these different cities preaching the gospel, had this mixed response as we keep seeing in the book of Acts. Some believe, some don't, and they're hostile. Uh, And now as they round out this uh, first trip uh, evangelizing parts of the Roman Empire, they begin to retrace their steps. They could have kept going east and ended up back at Antioch, uh, north of Jerusalem, if you will, Uh, But they decided to go back west and retrace their steps and visit, revisit some of these cities where they had been preaching the gospel um, and making disciples. And as they do, Luke tells us they stop along the way, they build up the believers there, and they establish some structure, some order for the churches to be able to continue to grow and to continue this ministry of proclaiming the resurrection of Christ. And and what we see in this pattern is what what Ed Clowney calls the regular ministry of the church. You know, sometimes we can think Paul, super missionary, super apostle, the things that he does are extraordinary, and certainly there's a level of truth to that. But, But by and large, Paul's ministry is meant to be a pattern for the ministry of the church still today. What's he doing? He's visiting these disciples. He's building them up. He's encouraging them to trust the Lord and helping them to grow in their likeness to Jesus Christ. It's the regular ministry of the church, making disciples and helping them to follow Jesus faithfully. How do we see Paul and Barnabas doing this in this passage? We see them strengthening the souls of disciples, building them up in their commitment to the Lord. We see them encouraging the churches so that they are supported through trial and trouble. We see them establishing structure in the church, appointing elders to oversee this ministry of encouragement. And then by implication, we see this pattern set of encouraging the ministry of encouragement to be carried out, not just by elders, not just by Paul and Barnabas, but by each member of the body of Christ. Notice first their strengthening commitments. Notice what Luke tells us in verse 22. As they're going back through these cities along the way, they're strengthening the souls of the disciples. This verb that Luke uses here, strengthening, uh, it's used four times in the New Testament, all in the book of Acts. Uh, In each time, it's related to... um, Paul also uses it in his letters, not surprisingly, but each time it's used in the book of Acts... The idea is that it's it's kind of an architectural imagery, right? You can think about maybe a building that's a little bit uh, out of sorts. It's not quite plumb. The walls are not straight, and it needs to be fortified. It needs to be strengthened. It needs to be fixed uh, 
so that when bad weather comes, tornado, harsh winds, uh, rain, whatever the case may be, that the building will be able to withstand uh, the, the trouble that comes its way. It's establishing something, building it up. In the New Testament, it's particularly used with regard to this ministry to believers in the face of pressure and trouble, trouble that could either weaken or uh, threaten their faith. Paul and Barnabas, they've been through these cities. They, they preached the gospel to these people. Paul was nearly stoned to death in one of these cities. There's, everywhere Paul goes, there's, there's kind of this riotous reaction to his ministry. It's a dangerous place. And Paul and Barnabas know that these believers that they have uh, brought to Jesus and have, have evangelized and begun to build up as disciples, Paul and Barnabas know they need to be strengthened because they're going to be facing troubles and pressure that could weaken and threaten their faith. And so they go back through to try to build them up so that they can face that hostility and those difficulties without compromise and without giving up. We're no different. Uh, we, we need this as well. We may not feel that we live in an environment that's as hostile as the environment that these early believers face. I would argue that we certainly don't live in an environment that hostile, as hostile as theirs were, uh, was. Yet we often need to be strengthened. We need to be strengthened in the face of our own personal failure. How often have we sinned knowingly, experienced moral failure in our own lives, and thought to ourselves, will the Lord forgive this? Will, will the Lord be gracious to me one more time? Will God hear my prayer asking for forgiveness? We need to be strengthened, to be assured of God's forgiveness in Christ. We need to be strengthened in the face of anxiety, worry over what life will bring, what life will be like, worry over the, the pressures that uh, press in upon us and weigh heavily on our hearts and often produce in us uh, an anxious feeling. Is the Lord near? Is he caring? Is he hearing my prayers? Will he see to it as he has done in the past? And we need to be strengthened to believe God's promises. We need to be strengthened in the face of doubt. Uh, that sometimes it's difficult to believe God's promises. Sometimes we struggle to understand how God is at work in the world, how God is at work in our lives. Sometimes we read the Bible, and the Bible's not always a simple book, and we struggle to understand what do these things mean? How does it all fit together? Can I trust? Can I believe what God has said? And we, we often struggle with doubt, and there's a thousand reasons that may be at work behind that. Yet in all of it, we need to be strengthened. We need others to come alongside us to strengthen our faith, our commitment to the Lord where it's, where it's lagging behind. This word, uh, or a related word that's used here for strengthening, uh, is, is the same word that Jesus uses when he's talking to Peter. Um, it, it, I forgot that that was going to be the children's challenge uh, about Jesus telling Peter, you know, you're going to actually deny me. You're, you're going to be ashamed of me, and Peter's you know, insistence that he wouldn't. But there's a, a scene a little bit later where Jesus is speaking to Peter about this incident, and he says, you know, you're going to do this, you're going to deny me three times, but when you have come back, when you have returned again from your denying me, uh, Jesus tells Peter, you will need to strengthen your brothers and sisters. 
Think about that for just a minute. Old Peter, the, the boaster, uh, the great denier, as Charles Spurgeon calls him. Peter denying Jesus, and yet Jesus is telling him in that moment, you're going to do this. And you can imagine Peter, what he went through when he realized and he heard that rooster crow that final time and realized what he had done, just the devastation. I did the very thing I told Jesus I wouldn't do, and he said I would do it, and here I am. And yet we know the end of that story, that Jesus lovingly and graciously restores Peter. If you love me, feed my sheep, and so forth. And, and Peter does exactly that. But Jesus tells him, you will go through this period of failure, of disappointing me, disappointing yourself, if you can put it that way. But you'll come back, and when you do, you'll strengthen others. Oftentimes, it's through our own experience of weakness, of failure, just falling down flat on our face, and Jesus lifting us up that we are able to strengthen others with a heart of compassion and love. We need this ministry of encouragement, of having our commitment to the Lord strengthened. We need help from outside of ourselves to firm up our commitment to the Lord. The goal of the Christian life is, you might describe it as a stable maturity that's able to stand in the face of the storms of life when the wind and the waves are just beating up against us if there's a stability and a maturity, a strength of faith there, then you won't, you know, you'll be like the man standing on top of the rock. When the rains came, uh, he built his house on the rock, and the rains came, and it didn't wash it away because he had that firm commitment, that firm foundation. But we all know that we're not always there. There's a gap. There's, there's a distance between what's in our heads, what we believe, what we affirm to be true about God, about his promises. There's a distance between that and our hearts. And, and how we live that out in our lives, what we know to be true and its impact on our lives, there's sometimes a disconnect there. And sometimes they look like they're going in opposite directions. And in those times, we need another to step in and to say, it's true. The promises are true. Jesus is faithful. Jesus is with you. Jesus' love never fails, even as, if yours does. You can trust him in the face of trial. I think it's important to remember that this is not a one-way strengthening of commitment. You know, we might, we might take this idea and make the mistake of thinking that all that we need is somebody to come alongside us and say, try harder, be more committed, grin and bear it. Don't let them see you struggle. Just work hard to be firm. <laughs> Hear me loudly and clearly. That's not what this is about. This is not a program of building self-esteem. This is not a self-help program where you just need to work harder so that your commitment to Jesus is more firm. It's not something that rests solely upon your shoulders. You have a role in this, and yet you are not primary. The good news is that our commitment to Christ is strengthened as we are reminded and assured of his commitment to us in covenant love. Notice the end of the passage that we read in verse 23 they appoint elders. We'll come back to that in a minute. They, they fast and pray, and as they do, they commit these believers, these churches, they commit them to the Lord in whom they had trusted. It's, it's a two-way strengthening. We are seeking to firm up our commitment to the Lord. We need others to help us to do that. But at root is the Lord's commitment to his people, which is unchanging and unfailing. His commitment to us is primary, as 
John tells us we love because he loved us first. His commitment to us is unchanging. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Though we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. His commitment to us is based on grace. He loved you. He chose you in love before the foundation of the world. Your name, if you are in Christ, your name is upon his heart. Your name is on his hands. He rose from the dead. He bore your name on his heart at the cross, and he rose from the dead with your name on his lips. His commitment to you is primary, and it's that commitment that helps us to strengthen our commitments and to be strengthened by others. Jesus himself strengthens our commitment to him by reminding us of his strong and unchangeable commitment to us in the gospel. I think we have good reason to believe that this good news of Christ's commitment to his people in the gospel, of taking our names on his heart and going all the way to the cross, all the way to the grave, and then rising again from the dead on the third day, that this gospel was at the heart of Paul's ongoing ministry of encouragement. Consider a couple of facts. If you look at the beginning and the end of Romans, which you can argue is kind of Paul's general letter to a church he'd not ever met, but he wanted them, this is what my ministry is about, this is what I'm teaching and so forth, read the book of, of Romans to find it, or, or perhaps you came to Ken Sunday School to go through that. But the beginning and ending of the letter to the Romans, Paul says, I want to come to you so that we can mutually encourage one another and be strengthened in our faith. Paul wanted to strengthen the disciples in Rome, and he wanted to receive that same strengthening for himself. And then at the end of the book of Romans, there's a doxology where he refers to God as the one who is able to strengthen you. You got these bookends. Paul's ministry, he wanted to strengthen these disciples. And what's in between the bookends is the meat by which he, which he used to strengthen the disciples, the gospel, all throughout the letter to the Romans. Or Paul's summary of his ministry in Colossians. Paul agonized, he labored strenuously to build up the church. And how does he describe that ministry in Colossians 1.28? He proclaimed Christ. He admonished them and he taught them so that they might be able to be mature, perfect in Christ. He proclaimed, proclaimed Christ and instructed them how to live, how to think, how to love as believers. At the foundation of this strengthening of our commitment, the foundation of this ministry of encouragement, if you will, is this good news of Christ for us. And this supports us, too, in trial and trouble. Notice what Paul and Barnabas tell these disciples as they're seeking to strengthen their souls in the midst of this. Uh, verse 22 tells us they encouraged them to continue in the faith, saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Well, that's good news, isn't it? <laughs> uh, you're going to suffer. You're, you're going to suffer. You're going to endure uh, not just some but many tribulations in order to enter the kingdom of God. How, why is that encouraging? You know, how, Paul, give me some, something else maybe that will brighten my day a little bit. But I think it's helpful because part of what Paul is doing is he's recognizing that nothing beats us down, wears us out like affliction, like suffering. Um, many of you know or many of you suffer, uh, know people who suffer with this, or many of you may suffer with this yourselves, of just long-term chronic disease. You just hurt 
all the time. And you suffer. Life is suffering. Uh, and if you're a Christian, you recognize the spiritual component to that physical suffering. You're, you're body and soul. You're one person. You can't divide one from the other. And, th- and there's something about suffering, whether it's physically from ongoing chronic disease or whether it's suffering because you've, you've taken a stand for something that's true and right for the, for the glory of God and you're, you're getting blowback from that, whatever the case may be, suffering kind of hits on all cylinders of your life, uh, to mix some metaphors there. Uh, you, you feel it physically, you feel it spiritually as you're worn down, you feel it mentally, just the brain fog that maybe comes with trying to endure something for a long period of time. Emotionally, you may be just out of sorts all the time, uh, you know, on a roller coaster, There's nothing that wears us out quite like affliction and suffering. Everything is impacted. And sometimes in the midst of that, it's hard. It's hard to hold on to Christ. We need to remember that he holds on to us in the midst of it. But we also need people like Paul and Barnabas who encourage believers to continue in faith. If there's there's one question that arises in the midst of suffering, it's this. Is God faithful? Can I trust him? Because it seems like I can't. When things are this hard or going on for this long, it's hard to trust him. And we need one another to come alongside to support through trouble and trial and to remind again of the love of Christ. But notice Paul also reminds them of a right view of suffering. It's the way we enter the kingdom of God. You know, many of you might think about your own conversion to Christ. For many, I think, it's, it's often connected with some sort of crisis, right? Some sort of event that rattles your cage, that upsets your way of life, your way of thinking, that causes you to kind of look differently at the way things are and to say, there must be more than what I'm thinking or than what I have believed. I need something more than what's right in front of me. And it's a deep down, undeniable need. And then you come to the realization that only Christ can meet it. Only Christ can forgive your sins. Only Christ can give you righteousness. And and you embrace the gospel and you enter the kingdom of God through some affliction, some, some form of suffering that the Lord used sovereignly to bring you to himself. That's part of what Paul is reminding them is this is often the way we enter the kingdom of God, but it's more than that. Paul is also saying, helping to give us a right view of suffering, he's saying, this is the tone of the Christian life. You die with Jesus, you rise with Jesus. And you cannot have one without the other. Which is great news for the dying part, to remember we rise with him. Uh, But it's often hard news for the rising part, that we we have to die with him. And oftentimes that, that, that comes through afflictions, it comes through the Lord purifying our hearts, you know, suffering strips you of the things that you thought were valuable and important, the things that you stood on that you thought would never be shaken, and all of a sudden you're suffering, and those things are shaking, and you you have to do some heavy self-examination. What am I trusting? Who am I trusting? Where have I anchored my hope? Suffering will do that to you. It, It reminds us that our only stability, our only hope can be found in Christ, that he never fails. He never disappoints us. So Paul is reminding them and us 
of a right view of suffering, that through the cauldron of heartache and grief, we find the comfort of God's unfailing love, that Christ suffered for us, he rose again from the dead for us, and is able to supply all our needs as we trust him through that refining process. This ministry of encouragement helps us to firm up our commitment to the Lord as he assures us of his commitment to us. Uh, This ministry of encouragement supports us through trial and trouble. And that is a two-way road as well. It comes, uh, we'll we'll come back to this in a minute, but let me just give a a brief illustration of of this. Um, Or just just a reminder. Let me just kind of pause here and make a little bit of application. This, This ministry of encouragement, particularly through trial and trouble, uh, it, it's hard. I, th- I think we should recognize that it's difficult. If you know somebody who is suffering, if you know somebody who is going through something difficult, sometimes it's hard to enter into that and to speak to it. Sometimes you don't know what to say. Sometimes you're afraid of, of saying the wrong thing and you know, making it worse and adding insult to injury and, and all of those things that kind of go through our heads. And uh, some of us just don't feel good at it. Some, some of us don't feel good at encouraging others uh, for, for whatever reason. And some of you, some of you have an incredible gift of encouragement. You, you are full of joy in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. You're full of trust and confidence in God's promises. And it just kind of bubbles over from you into others. And you have a wonderful gift at encouraging people. And, and don't, we should not underplay the value of that gift. But let me just encourage each of you that the Lord has given you his Holy Spirit, who is called the encourager, the comforter. It's all the same word in, in Greek. He, he is the comforter who gives you comfort so that you can comfort one another. So that even if you don't feel like that's your gift or that you're very good at encouraging other people, the Lord can use you. Uh, I was at a Presbytery meeting several years ago where I experienced this, of all places, uh, a Presbytery meeting, not often known for being the place where you are encouraged uh, in this particular way, although that's not true. We have a a delightful presbytery um, uh, in Fellowship Presbytery. We were at a presbytery meeting several years ago, and uh, a local ministry leader was presenting about the ministry that she helps to oversee, and and in that, she shared a story about a a friend of mine who had died uh, just just before this, and uh, oh man, I did not know that was going to happen, and uh, it, it caught me off guard just like it's doing right now. Uh, she shared a story of uh, how a friend of mine who had recently died had, had helped in this ministry. And it was a beautiful story. It was encouraging. And, and in the moment, I was fine hearing it. And then somebody at the end of the presentation, somebody said, well, Dave, why don't you pray for this ministry? And I said, okay. And I closed my eyes and bowed my head. And I couldn't do it. I knew that if I started talking, I was just going to lose it in like a massive, ugly cry. And I thought, this is not what is needed right now. And so there was just silence because I couldn't get it together. And, and somebody realized what was going on. They started praying uh, in my place. And then a friend of mine came up later, a fellow pastor, who does not have the gift of encouragement, I would say. But he's a, he's a good guy. But he came up later and he said, um, he said Dave, are you okay? And I said, yeah, I think I'm okay. And he said, okay, I'm, I'm just asking because I know I'm supposed to. <laughs> and uh, you can probably figure out who that was, maybe, to think about it. I don't know. Um, and, and uh, you know, it was funny in the moment because he's, he's like, I don't know how to do this well, but I, I, I know that this is something I'm supposed to do, so I'm just asking, are you okay? Because I think I'm supposed to encourage you somehow. 
I tell you, like, maybe he didn't have the gift of encouragement. Maybe it was an awkward way to do it. But he knew in that moment that was what I needed. And it's the only conversation I remember from that day. Uh, because he said, how are you doing? You, you okay? You may not feel like you're good at this. You may not feel like this is your, your gift necessarily to encourage one another. But I'm telling you, um, because God says it, you, if you're in Christ, you've got the Holy Spirit. And, and he calls every, every one of us, to skip to the last point, he calls every one of us to be involved in this mutual ministry of, of encouragement. It's overseen by the elders, as, as, as we see in that, that brief note, Paul, they appointed elders at every church. There needed to be some structure, there needed to be some leadership so that this could be ongoing in Paul's absence. And this, this was the regular ministry of the church, overseen by the elders. So, you know, maybe one of the, you could say one of the best ways to establish a ministry of encouragement in the church is to be Presbyterian. I thought my Baptist friends here would laugh a little bit more at that, but maybe it was inappropriate. I apologize. At least to have elders, um, even if it's not in a Presbyterian type thing. Uh, it's, it's, it's a biblical way of carrying out that ministry of encouragement. Sorry if, I, if that was offensive. As we, as we finish this out, let me, let me just make two points, uh, kind of two and a half points of application here for, for Christians and, and for non, non-believers. Uh, if you're a Christian, you, you need this ministry. You, you are needy for this ministry of encouragement. Uh, there's, there's, none of us are immune from or immune to those occasions where faith is weakened Life is difficult. We question God's promises. We struggle to believe. We struggle to obey. Uh, all, we all experience that same weakness, vulnerability. It's, it's part of living in a broken world where we are corrupted by sin and in need of grace. You are in need of this ministry of en- encouragement. So ask for help. Seek others who will walk with you in prayer and in loving accountability. Don't isolate yourself in suffering. Uh, sometimes the very thing we need, other people, is the, thing, is the last thing that we want, and yet we're encouraged to seek that out, that we need the whole body to help us as we endure the trials of life. Sometimes, sometimes you're hurting, and you're bearing a burden, and you just don't want to say it. Uh, but Jesus has placed us in the body of Christ, which in many ways is the safest place to share our burdens, because Paul tells us in Galatians, bear one another's burdens. So ask, ask for help. Um, remember that we all enter the kingdom of God through many tribulations. And so don't be surprised at that and don't act like you're somehow uh, immune from that. But, but ask for help. We are, all, we are all needy. You're also all needed for this ministry of encouragement. As we've already said, the Holy Spirit has gifted each of the members of the body of Christ uh, here at Filbert, if you're a member here or at the church where you attend, uh, you are placed there by Jesus and equipped by his Holy Spirit to serve in this type of ministry, to encourage the faith of those around you through suffering and through sin, to love one another when we're struggling to do the right thing and to remind each other of the grace of God in Jesus Christ. If you're in Christ, you can't disqualify yourself out of Christ. Okay? There's grace for sinners and there's grace for sufferers. And so we are both needy and needed. How do you do it? You exalt Jesus. You talk about him often in your conversations. 
you share what he's doing in your life. You ask, how can I pray? And you remember, it's not a formula. It's loving one another as Christ has called us to do. It's Christian love. If you're a non-Christian and you're hearing these things and you're thinking, what does this have to do with me? Uh, Consider this question. Do you know or have you experienced a commitment like the commitment that Jesus makes to his people? I would venture to say that you, you haven't because his loving commitment to his people was the, is unique. There's nothing else like it. Uh, and and uh, it's important for us all to see that that is our deepest need. For someone who knows everything about us, everything about you, uh, your, your deepest <laughs> desires and dreams, and the, the points of shame uh, that, you, that you hide, that you don't want to tell anybody about, Areas of weakness where you keep everybody out. Jesus knows all of it. He knows all of you. This is the point of Psalm 139 that's been referenced a few times. Uh, he, he knows every single one of your days before there was yet one of them. He knows what's coming out of your mouth before it happens. He knows our innermost thoughts, everything. If you pause and consider that for a moment, you might think, why would anybody love me? If they could see that, why would anybody be committed to me if they knew me? Maybe better than you know yourself. Jesus knows you. Uh, There's nothing that is hidden from his sight. And yet in love, he came for you. In loving covenantal commitment to lay down his life, not for good people, but for sinners. He committed himself to you out of grace. You don't deserve it. You cannot earn it. He freely gives it. There is nothing like the love of God in Jesus Christ and the commitment that he makes to his people. If you're not a believer and you don't know that kind of love and that kind of commitment, I invite you, I urge you to find it in Jesus. Talk to somebody here. Ask them how to do it. But find it in Christ, and you'll never be disappointed. You'll never turn back. And then you'll find a people who have experienced that loving commitment from Jesus themselves and who have been called into this business, this ministry of encouragement, to help one another stay committed through hardship, to encourage and support one another through trial and trouble, and to remind one another the promises of God are true in Christ. Would you pray with me?